My friends, if anyone is detected in a transgression, you who have received the Spirit should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Take care that you yourselves are not tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if those who are nothing think they are something, they deceive themselves. All must test their own work. Then that work, rather than their neighbor's work, will become a cause for pride. For all must carry their own loads. Those who are taught the word must share in all good things with their teacher. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For you reap whatever you sow. If you sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So let us not grow weary in doing what is right, for we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. So then, whenever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all, and especially for those of the family of faith. See what large letters I make when I am writing in my own hand. It is for those who want to make a good showing in the flesh that they try to compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Even the circumcised do not themselves obey the law, but they want you to be circumcised so they may boast about your flesh. May I never boast of anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything, but a new creation is everything. And for those who will follow this rule, peace be upon them, and mercy and upon the Israel of God. If today's reading from Galatians left you feeling confused, it's not just you. I saw some gridleys with their attention wandering over here. It is confusing. This section that we heard, Scott read so well, is from the very end of the book. And reading a passage like this is kind of like joining a conversation that started long before you arrived. That's always confusing, isn't it? And while the first part of the reading, the stuff about bearing each other's burdens and reaping what you sow is pretty easy to understand, that second half where Paul talks about circumcision and boasting in the flesh and obeying the law, well, it feels like walking into a conversation late. So this morning, we're going to back up and try to make sense of these words and how they might speak to us today, because And this is important. They're about more than just actual circumcision. (laughs) Thank goodness. Paul wrote this letter to a group of churches in a region known as Galatia, which is in the modern-day nation of Turkey. These are churches he started. Everywhere he went, he told people about Jesus. And if they were receptive, he helped them to start a new church and then He just continued on, and he often wrote letters to the people in the churches after he left because he missed them, and he loved them, and also 
to address any issues they might be having. And the churches in Galatia were having a lot of issues. See, the fact that Galatia is in modern-day Turkey is important. It means that it was a place where Gentiles lived, non-Jewish people. And after Paul left, after planting these churches, some Jewish followers of Jesus started teaching all these new Gentile converts that it was great if they wanted to follow Jesus. Wonderful! But first, they had to become Jewish and obey Jewish laws and get circumcised. At least the men did. The women were excused from that part, Though, on the other hand, they couldn't really, like, own land and enjoy some very basic human rights. So, you know, how do you win some, you lose some. In today's world, there are clear boundaries between Judaism and Christianity. We recognize that they are different religious systems. But that wasn't the case in the first century. Jesus was Jewish. His core disciples were Jewish. His teachings were grounded in Judaism. And so for a while, many thought that all these Christians were just a new sect within Judaism. One of the first struggles the church faced after Jesus left was to understand the relationship between Judaism and following Jesus. Some people thought that the message of salvation that Jesus brought was only for Jewish people, and everyone else was on the outside looking in. Others thought that it was fine for non-Jewish people to follow Jesus and receive the salvation he offered. They just needed to become Jewish first. That's the message that was being taught at these churches in Galatia. And Paul wrote this letter because he was outraged and furious about it. And that is because Paul believed that adding anything to the message of Jesus actually takes away from Jesus. He had taught the people in Galatia that they could receive God's love and goodness and forgiveness as a free gift through faith in Jesus. That it came without any requirements, without any prerequisites, without any strings attached, without needing to obey laws in order to get God's approval, without needing to live up to some standards so that God could be pleased, without the need to try to earn or do anything. This is why we still call the message of Jesus good news. Because it's not just another set of commandments and rules. It's something different. But now, now people had convinced these Galatians they did need to do something. They did need to fulfill some commands, live up to some expectations, follow some rules in order to get, to earn God's grace and mercy. If they wanted to share and be part of this Jesus movement, they had to be good enough and meet the requirements to get in, which meant being circumcised. 
when he wrote to them, Paul said that they had abandoned the good news, that this was like exchanging freedom for slavery. He was so angry that he said, if getting circumcised was what we need to do to be good enough for God, then why not just go and chop everything off? Bet you didn't know that was in the Bible. (laughs) Here's what these Jewish Christians were telling the Galatians. You have to be like us to be included. You have to be like us to be part of God's people, followers of Jesus, members of the church, recipients of God's grace. If you want any of that, First, you have to be like us. And I wonder if we ever make people feel that way. It is no secret that for the last 30 years, our denomination, along with most others in the United States, has been steadily shrinking. But one thing that has stood out is that even as our nation is becoming more diverse, we are not the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, which we're a part of, is the whitest denomination in the United States and the second least racially diverse denomination in the country. Why is that? I mean, in other parts of the world, Lutheran theology and practice reaches and speaks to a wide and diverse array of people. Today, there are more Lutherans in Ethiopia and Tanzania than in Sweden, Denmark, Norway, and Finland combined. So what is it about our practice of Lutheranism in the U.S. that has kept our churches so homogenous? Look, I know right now our culture is having a bunch of very silly debates about diversity, but as a church, we know and we emphatically state and affirm That diversity is good. God made this world with incredible, rich diversity everywhere. We see this in the natural world. And God created humans with some truly amazing and beautiful diversity. And and that means that's a gift to be cherished and celebrated and embraced. Which means we need to be intentional in rejecting the idea that others have to be like us to be included. They have to be like us to be a part of God's people, followers of Jesus, members of the church, recipients of God's grace. If they want any of that, first they need to be like us. And I know that none of you would ever intentionally say something like that. That we do believe deep down in our souls that God's grace is for everyone. And yet, I think it's worth asking if our actions and words ever communicate something different, even if it is by accident. Do we ever send the message that people need to be like us to belong here? Do we expect people to dress a certain way, to carry themselves a certain way, to speak a certain way, and then allow those expectations to impact the way we welcome and treat people? Do we ever subtly communicate 
that in order to belong, people need to worship like us. I mean, what would we do if somebody who was obviously homeless joined us in worship? Or, goodness forbid, if somebody waved their hands and danced in joy as they sang with us? Do we ever send the message that someone has to be here long enough before they're really in? They have to be liberal enough or conservative enough that they must do things the way we do if they want to be a part of this Jesus thing. I guess what I'm asking is, what barriers are we creating, whether intentionally or not, that prevent people from being part of this community, that sends the message that they need to meet our approval before they're part of us? Sure, we haven't required anyone to get circumcised. That's true, right? Okay. But what else have we put between people and Jesus? A Baptist pastor named Carol Holtz Martin said, the gospel will produce congregations in which unity exists with amazing diversity. That's the kind of church we want. One that is so rooted in the gospel that we have both amazing diversity and incredible unity. And not just racial diversity, but diversity across every part of life, including politics. We don't want a monolithic church where everyone is the same, where we act the same and think the same. Diversity is a gift. And you know what? We are mature enough as people of faith and as a community to handle our conflicts and differences and disagreements well with love and grace and care. I saw this for myself as we went through our reconciling in Christ process a few years ago, exploring how our congregation can be a place that better welcomes and affirms LGBTQ plus people. I remember sitting down in the adult education room as a member of our church shared that they were really struggling with this decision, that they disagreed with what most other people were saying. And when they were done speaking, I I held my breath, wondering, how is everybody else going to react? Are we going to get defensive? Are we going to begin fighting? Are we going to ostracize this person? The next person to speak felt very differently. But before they said anything, they stopped and they turned to face the first person who had spoken. And they thanked them. They thanked them for sharing. They thanked them for being open enough to be honest, for being vulnerable enough to share how they really felt with members of our community. That's always stuck with me because it was this beautiful moment of both diversity and loving unity. I hope we continue to grow in our practice of hospitality and welcome, that we intentionally seek to become a more diverse community that is united in Jesus. The most common image that's used in the Bible to talk about the church is a body, 
with all its many parts fulfilling different purposes and performing different functions, just that one image teaches us that we are more complete, that we're better able to fulfill our mission when we're a diverse community full of different types of people with all their various skills and personalities and passions and, yes, opinions, all working together, all embracing our God-given diversity and our unity in Christ. And we can do that in so many ways. Like, and this is a small one, but like a gathering hymn that I know may not be your favorite style but it does speak to people who are different than you. And it sends a message to young families that this is a place that welcomes and loves children, especially those who are visiting us for the first time. Or it could look like creating space for new ministries led by new people who have new vision and energy, even if that means change and requires us to move aside a little bit so that someone else can have a little more room. The good news that Paul gives us this morning is that God accepts us right where we are, as we are. This doesn't mean that God will leave us where we are because things like grace and love and the Holy Spirit can and will change us but we don't need to be anything else or to be anyone else, to be part of God's people, followers of Jesus, members of this church, and recipients of God's love. We don't need to live up to any set of standards or meet any expectations in order to drink from the well of grace. Here, we know that our Diversity and differences are a gift to celebrate. And that you, you, you are loved and cherished by God. You are valued and loved and needed in this church. Amen.